Welcome to the Vaccination Station. My name is Dave, and today I'm speaking with Steffi. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Steffi, can you tell us three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting? Uh, well, my heritage is Serbian. That's Eastern Europe, uh, but I was born in Austria. I've moved here and there all the time, like... I don't have one place where I live because my family is half here, half there. Uh, I uh, studied chemistry for briefly a few years, and but I couldn't find a job in that. So I made an animal reaction channel <laughs> and now I'm living off that. That's, yeah. that's really cool. I, you, you are my, not my first YouTuber that I've interviewed. I've, I've interviewed another YouTuber before, uh, but you are certainly my first YouTube reactor that I've interviewed. <laughs> so this is very cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Steffi, I want to ask you about uh, vaccines and some, some general stuff to do with the pandemic. Firstly, are you vaccinated? Were you vaccinated as a child? As a child, yes, it was, I think the word is modernary, like you had to vaccinate your child's children, like we wouldn't even be asked, we would just one day go to school and then like take the whole class, we're getting vaccines today, and nobody asked us if we want or not, but right now, no, I'm not vaccinated yet. Oh, okay, you mean you're not vaccinated for uh, COVID-19 yet? No, 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 not yet. Yeah, same in my country. I'm not old enough yet. I'm not in the internet risk category. So vaccines were mandatory at school and, and you received vaccines at school. Tell me about that. Uh, well, the first, I, like, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of vaccines I got, to be honest. Like, I don't even think that's written anywhere. Like, even my mom didn't know. She was telling a few days ago, like, oh, I didn't vaccinate my children when I was, like, when they were kids and me and my brother look at her. Nobody asked us. They did vaccinate us like in school. They didn't even ask you. Like they just took us like three times in like I went to school for eight years, like the first school. And we were vaccinated like three times during those eight years. But no, nobody asked us if we want to. They didn't even ask the parents. It was just known that children had to be vaccinated. And it was if you want to go to school, you did. You had to have the vaccine. What do you know about how vaccines work? Uh, well, depending on their like different kind of vaccines, like there's a one that work on protein based. There's some that work like to, sorry, my English is like not that good for that. Um, where they put uh, like the dead, dead vac vaccine inside a body and then it creates antibodies. And yeah, generally, like I'm pro-vaxxer. Like I said, I studied a bit of chemistry and we had that also covered like a tiny bit. I was not for, I was not that kind of chemist, but still. So yeah, that's how I understand vaccines. They put the virus, like a form of virus into you and then you just create antibodies. It's not much different than when you get the virus a natural way and then you just 
make immunity to it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That is a really terrific answer. And the average (laughs) person on the street, I don't think would have been able to go into so much detail as you did there. I can definitely see your chemistry education coming through. And yes, you're definitely right about the proteins. So the great thing about the new mRNA vaccines is that they don't require any part of the virus to be put into your body, whether whether uh, a live virus or an inactivated virus. Um, the vaccine basically gives the body a blueprint that teaches it how to create the protein. And then the body yeah. creates the protein and says, okay, well, now I know to look out for these things. And then that's it. It's all done. Yeah, and that's also why it has to be done twice because it might not recognize it's the first time. They were like, they will like, that's a danger, but we'll see. And then the second time, oh, there it is again. Let's now create the the antibodies against it. That's why, especially like the COVID vaccine, that's why it, it's like in two doses, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's absolutely correct. Wow, this is this is really cool. Um, <laughs> So you're you're pro-vax, you support vaccines, you were vaccinated as a child. Is there much of an anti-vaccine movement in your country? Sorry, you're living in in Serbia? Yeah, right now I'm in Austria visiting my family, but I'm going back in two days to Serbia. But yes, there are a lot of anti-vaxxes in Serbia, but that's mostly because Back in the days, there was like a lot of wars on Balkan and we, they did not get like back in the 90s, I think the vaccines they did get were not that good. And it's mostly the older generation that are against it, which I kind of understand because they had really had bad experience with it. They were not like the, the, the best vaccines that our countries got because of poverty, because of being poor as a country. They couldn't afford like the best ones. So there are a lot of children died because of vaccines a lot of disease happened which is understandable but people don't understand new days that it's better medicine changed that the technology changed we're not that poor anymore the government can afford the better ones but it's understandable where the thinking is coming from yeah when you had a an experience like that when you've got an entire generation that's been through that experience very difficult to shake that mentality Mm -hmm. even though time has moved on and science has advanced and the country has changed and things are very different now it's very hard sometimes for a a generation to forget the struggles that they went through and realize that they shouldn't be superimposing those on on the present time because it's just not like that anymore but i can understand some of the issues there definitely uh serbia certainly would have um suffered a great deal as a uh, Soviet satellite state, um, as most of Europe, Eastern Europe did, and even parts of Central Europe, like Poland, for example. So, yeah, yeah I, um, I can completely understand where that's coming from. What's the general attitude, though, towards vaccines today in Serbia, do you think? Well, I was actually very positively surprised that a lot of people signed up for vaccines like it's amazing we were like one of the most in Europe that actually even got vaccines vaccinated now so I was really surprised but I think it's mostly the older generations now did it because they're mostly I know from my grandpa he was first person he was one of the first people who signed up because he was scared for his own health and a lot of the younger ones I think mostly of the middle generations are still like a bit 
mm, like torn. So yeah, I'm actually positively surprised how well the vaccines are being taken in Serbia right now. That's that's really great to know. What what's the population of Serbia then? I think I think it's about between six or seven million, somewhere in between there. Oh, okay. Well, that that's a really small um, that's a really small population there. So, covering the the population with the vaccine it should not be difficult to reach herd immunity quite quickly. Then that's that's a real advantage. Uh, in Australia, our population here is about twenty five million. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and and our country is three times the size of Western Europe. So we have a couple of issues here. Firstly, we've got quite a few more people to vaccinate. And then secondly, there's gigantic distances involved in sending vaccines across the country. So, uh, for example, um, I was born and raised in Perth, which is the capital of Western Australia. And Perth is the most is is the most isolated capital city in the world. The next closest uh, capital city to Perth is Adelaide, where I live now. And Adelaide is about 2,600 kilometers away. Okay. So, so the distances involved here in, in Australia do present some challenges to vaccine distribution, especially since we've got in an, an, indigenous, an indigenous population as well. And many people in the indigenous population still live in the outback very far away where it's okay. difficult to get resources and, and various essential supplies. So getting the vaccines to where they need it can be a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. A vaccine rollout hasn't been great, but it's, it's getting much better. So what the government here has done is prioritized the at-risk categories. So indigenous population is at the top of the list, along with older people. And, and frontline workers, and then gradually they start to vaccinate more groups on, on the basis of priority and, and need. And I imagine that the same sort of thing is being done in Serbia as well. Yeah, yeah. First, first it was like the, the workers, like medical workers and military, first they got the vaccines, and then older groups over 65 years old, I think. And then the one under even, I mean, already some of my friends already got their vaccines. Like it's been, uh, our president got a lot of them. Like at once he got one of the bigger doses in Europe, even though we're not that big. Yeah, that's a bit like more politically why he did it because a lot of other people are now coming to Serbia to vaccinate themselves, which is also like a bit of a gray area to talk about um, because a lot of people, uh, everybody else who comes to Serbia to get the vaccine, they have to pay for it. We are getting it for free. So we also think the president did it to get a bit the money into the budget too. So when the pandemic hit, what did the government do? What was the government's immediate response when things began to be serious? And it became very clear to world governments that this wasn't going to go away. It wasn't like a two three week, maybe four month thing, it was going to be a, a serious, dangerous worldwide pandemic. It was terrible. In Serbia, it was terrible. Like first, okay, everybody got, uh, like the rest of the world, everybody got scared. And then of course we went into immediate lockdown, but not completely first. It was after eight o'clock, you're not allowed outside. Then after a week, oh, the numbers are too high. Let's get till five o'clock. After five, 
o'clock until five in the morning, nobody allowed outside. Then they put it down to three o'clock, then 12 o'clock. And then it was like weekends completely not allowed to go anywhere. We were all like following that. Like it was at first, everything was okay. The president was like, we have enough respirators, like we are well prepared. But the problem is the pandemic hit while it was election time. Like that year to 2020 was election time. Yeah, you can think what it was. The numbers, but like a few weeks before the election, oh, we are so good. Like the numbers are so low. We're opening everything, concerts. Uh, it was like a bit before summer. He wanted to get the votes. And he was like, we have another respirators. We are well prepared. The first wave, he does hard, but the second, we are prepared. You can go vote. You can go this and then. Uh, immediately after elections, the numbers are too high. We have to close everything. He was voted again, of course. Nobody wanted him before that because he was not a good president. But yeah, so that the, I think the pandemic and the lockdown helped him a lot. He bought like votes. It's insane. Just because he gave us like a few weeks, oh, everything is okay. We're prepared. You can go vote, no problem. You can go in masses, even like you know what mask you. We don't need masks. Like who needs that? So yeah, that's how. At least the first part, and then after that, there was like big demonstrations because of that in Serbia. They were like setting cars on fire in front of the parliament and everything. Yeah, it was mostly students because everybody was courageous. I even was. It was in the main city, Belgrade. I even was traveling there and I was the air, I don't know how you call it, like tear gas. You could feel tear gas everywhere in the air. There were like, people were furious. Nobody was furious about the lockdowns, but how they manipulated about us. Like one day you say everything's fine and right after election, you close us up again. Like what's the deal? So the summer was a bit of a dramatic in Serbia, summer 2020. Well, it, it sounds like your experience has been a lot more exciting than mine. <laughs> As Australia locked down early and hard, and then we've maintained lockdowns on an as-needed basis. So because Australia is divided into different states and each state has its own government, the state governments have been able to introduce their own regulations and they've also closed their borders to each other at various times so that we can reduce the chance of, of spread. And that's been very useful because it means you can't just sort of wander into a, another state without being checked at the border. And then Austria did the same. Start a fresh here. outbreak. Yeah. So we've, um, we've handled it pretty well. We've had about, I think, 912 deaths overall in a population of 25 million so we're doing pretty well. We've got the virus under control. And any time there's a small outbreak, uh, it's traced very quickly because we've got a good tracing network. And the government, the state government, no normally imposes a quick lockdown to make sure that we can catch it and, and stop it spreading any further. The government also banned international travel except for essential purposes. And it's very difficult to get an exemption for that unless you know your job requires it or you maybe you're a, a, obviously a politician or, or some high level business person that kind of thing so international travel has been in lockdown as well ever since i think 
maybe March or, or April last year. So it's been really, really hard. And that's been very tough. There's been quite a few complaints, obviously, about, you know, the lockdown measures. And uh, we haven't actually got to the stage of burning cars, though. <laughs> <laughs> And in some places, occasionally, the, some um, some states have mandated mask wearing on an as needed basis. But for the most part, it's it's been really good. You know, the, everyone is sort of doing social distancing, contact tracing, and just generally getting on with with life as as best we can while trying to obey the rules. So it's been pretty good, and we're we're doing very well. And we can fix up our vaccine rollout so that actually starts to work a bit more efficiently then we'll be looking very good by the end of the year so that that's been our experience and um, yours sounds a lot more um a lot more political and <laughs> and a lot more exciting as as a result of that we've had a lot more cooperation at the political level here in in australia so that's that's been very helpful how has the pandemic impacted you personally then? Because if you travel between Serbia and Austria for family reasons, what restrictions have been introduced that might make that more difficult for you? Well, I didn't see my family for a whole year almost because of that. Yeah, like I saw them uh, December 2019 and then almost a year, a bit less, but yeah. And I'm used to like traveling here and there to them especially I also had like a long which is like the worst thing that affected me is on the end of 2019 I got into a long distance relationship right before everything started so that that was we even broke up because of that we managed uh, a year and a half but it was unbearable he lived in Sweden and Sweden had uh, like Sweden had almost zero restrictions inside of the country they only had like the borders closed but the a uh, bad thing was it was open for European Union, but not for Serbia because we are not part of the European Union, even though we are part of Europe. So I couldn't travel to see him at all. So yeah, it affected my love life. It affected my family love, the life, and it affected my friend's life too because all of my friends are also mostly in Serbia, in Austria, sorry. So I spend a lot of the time alone with like a handful of people only. So what differences have you seen between the way the pandemic's been handled in Serbia and the way it's been handled in Austria? <laughs> Difficult question. It's Serbia right like right now when I, when I look when I look back it was a bit more on the lower side it wasn't like that strict it wasn't the beginning and a bit, like I said, after the election, but like in after, like in autumn, in fall, it started like everything opened, but like only for like a specific time until eight or until 10 o'clock. It was variating. While in Austria, everything's been closed since, oh, October or September last year. Like it was closed and a bit open for summer, then they closed everything again. And it's like after eight o'clock, you're not allowed outside. You need like a super reason why outside uh, you have to wear masks everywhere, even like not any kind of mask, only specific masks are allowed. You're not allowed to like meet really with friends that much. Uh, 
policeman could stop you and ask you like if you live together or not like if you live together then it's okay but if you're not living together with that person that you're out they could like write you a few um how you call like um payment that you have to pay like while in serbia it was like open closing open closing afterwards so we didn't feel it afterwards that much i think the car burning helped there <laughs> but yeah especially because but it was easier for me because it, well i was in serbia was on the i'm on the countryside i'm in a village so i had it's not same being on the country during pandemic and in a city i have my garden i have my my animals i have a big house where i can move go outside and it's not that strict there're not a lot of police i can go over to a neighbor for a cup of coffee like we're not, we're only seeing each other it's not we're not putting anybody at risk because it's a small community like everybody knows everybody know what is going anywhere and i think for the people in the city in serbia was much much harder especially like closed in four four walls it it can be quite depressing yeah the population density in in some of these european cities is much higher than it is in somewhere like australia where we've got a bit more room to breathe and even our urban population centers our big population centers high density living for us is is still on a larger scale and and we have more space to actually to move around so we we don't feel so cramped i can definitely appreciate that in in some of these more densely packed european cities and and also in places like uh, japan for example where they have super high density living it can be absolutely maddening to be stuck inside for so yeah. long with very little prospect of being able to get out and just live a normal life so do you feel that austria's response then has been a bit more consistent than uh, than serbia's insofar as it sort of wasn't all one way and then suddenly all another way and then all another way again for various political reasons but a, a bit more of a measured approach yeah like especially because i know a lot of people even here like did go on protests and everything but peaceful protests not like in serbia and they did it every week but the government didn't change their mind they still put them like it's locked on everything's closed you can walk you can protest however you want nothing is changing and nothing did change they're now uh, talking about something on i think may 19 to open everything but only to be like for people with a green pass that's like if you're either vaccinated or you have a test with you like a negative test that you can go inside of coffee shops and or restaurants or something but they keep moving that they promised it back in january i think and they just keep moving it every time like in the next two weeks in the next two weeks in the next two weeks i think that's how they keeping like people a bit calmer because they keep promising and that's why a lot of did people protest but it's not changing they will i'm i wouldn't be surprised to hear from my brother because he lives here that he says they moved it again for two weeks because they just keep doing that empty promises what's the effect been like on the economy in serbia you're a youtuber so you basically work from home so the your um your role is is a bit different it's not so easily affected by something like a a, a pandemic but what what has it been like for the average person on the street who says say has a a traditional 9 to 5 job mm. and 
what has been the impact on business, particularly hospitality and and, and uh, accommodation, for example? Well, I can go for myself because before I started, I started YouTube 2016 back, but I, I had breaks and I had normal work. And before the pandemic, I actually worked in tourism. In a, I was a hotel manager. Yeah, I was YouTube was more like of a hobby. Like with the pandemic, I started actively doing it because I had no other choice. And tourism during pandemic was nothing. I lost my job. I lost my opportunities to work anywhere. So I know it's hard. And I know from a lot of friends, especially who work in gastronomy and stuff like that, they had such a hard time and the government didn't help there. Like I know I heard from other countries, a lot of them did like get help during this. Do you know how much Serbia got for one year? 100 euro. That's all that we got in May last year. That's it. What are you supposed to do with 100 euro? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it was what, also before the of, election. One week of groceries, maybe? Yeah, basically. I mean, the average payment is like 300 in Serbia. It's our economy is, is a disaster. But a lot of people got mad. Of course, what do you do with 100 euros? It was he was pro he first promised every three months 100 euros, which is still nothing. But it would be a tiny bit of something. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I got my 100 euros back in May 2020, while the uh, singers and like our pop idols of Serbia they got 9,000 because they're not working. Yeah. They got for the whole year 9,000 euro per person because poor people, there are no events. They can't sing. How, how would they pay their mansions? Like, oh my God, they need help. Well, um, yeah, the Australian yeah. government has been very supportive. So although, yeah, our economy has, has taken a hit, particularly in the usual areas you'd expect, tourism, hospitality, accommodation, we have fared quite a bit better and we're still in a, a real estate boom. So there's a lot of construction going on. So there are ongoing industries that are still really roaring and there's plenty of money going through the economy. I think our unemployment rate has gone up a bit as you'd expect. And yeah, some of these industries have taken a big hit, but other industries are still strong enough to keep the economy going. So we haven't slumped into recession or anything. And that's, been really helpful plus say the careful management of the pandemic obviously has contributed a lot to that the government's trying to minimize the impact on businesses it has offered a lot of generous financial support to businesses and families and individuals so that's that's been very helpful as well but uh, i think as that money winds down because it can't continue forever all eyes are going to be on the government to see how well the vaccine rollout goes and if a lot more things can sort of be loosened up and then life can get back to, to normal again. I know the tourism industry is hurting really badly at the moment because of the, the lockdowns between states and, of course, the international ban, the international travel ban. So that's really rough. So what about Austria then? How, how have you found Austria in, in terms of economic support for, for the people? That I really can't tell. That I don't know what, what Austria did. Like I'm not their citizen. I'm, when I'm here, I'm here as a tourist. 
I know that uh, my brother, he also works at a hotel. He didn't get like, at least uh, he just got like less payments. He still uh, works there, even the hotel is not like open because he's a manager. So he still, still has paperwork, but at least he has a job still. Well, a lot of his colleagues got not fired, but like on pause, on break until the hotels reopens again normally. But for government help, I, I really don't know that information. I don't know how, how, how they did it here. With regard to the vaccine rollout, does Serbia have the capacity to manufacture vaccines locally or did it simply buy them from other countries? Uh, they bought them. We, we bought, they bought vaccine. We do have like pharmacy, like um, uh, fabrics, like in, in this, we have a pharmacy industry, but I don't think that we are that well into making new stuff. Like we mostly get our, the biggest one, Hemofarm, it got bought by a German. And I think they're sending their recipes to us and then we produce. But I don't think we have the capacity to make our own. We mostly, yeah. he mostly, we mostly bought all the vaccines. Australia started developing a vaccine last year and it was going well, but we had to stop development because during clinical trials, they were getting false positives for HIV for some reason. Okay. So that that meant that the vaccine simply wasn't wasn't a viable option at that stage and they they had to abandon that research. And as a result of that we have bought vaccines from other countries. However, we do have the capacity to manufacture vaccines here and our government has struck a deal with AstraZeneca so that they can give us the information and resources we need to to manufacture the vaccine locally to cover our, our own supply so the government bought a huge number of vaccines well in advance which was really great but being able to manure the va manufacture the vaccine locally is a big help because that means if this becomes a, a sort of a, a recurring thing if you need to have say maybe a an annual booster we've got the capacity there to make our own and we we won't be so reliant on other countries which i know has been a big complication across the EU. I noticed the EU's vaccine rollout has been very spotty in, in places. They've had shortages of vaccines. And as a result of that, they've been reluctant to sell to other countries. Uh, Italy, for example, refused to sell some vaccines to us because they decided that they needed them at the last minute. So we had to source some of our vaccines from elsewhere. Serbia obviously has avoided that big problem because you're not an EU member. You're not tied to the, the EU supply chain in that way. So you've got yeah. more freedom to, and, and better options to, to source your vaccines. The UK is no longer in the EU. They've been able to do a bit better. Plus, they, have, they already had manufacturing capacity. The AstraZeneca vaccine was uh, produced in, in the UK anyway, as I understand it. So they're in a much better position but across the eu it has been a very awkward rollout in various countries because of short supply so i was wondering how that was affecting austria at the moment well as far as i know they're doing fine right now with the vaccines like i know a lot of been even though i know like one person who had really bad effects from the astrazeneca and I know there were a lot of protests against AstraZeneca because there were like two nurses, young nurses died from it. 
uh, a lot of people are refusing to take to take it. That's what I know. But I know they have like a variation. They have the Moderna, they have the Pfizer, they have the Johnson & Johnson, I think two. Yeah, I think those four. And I know that they were like also protesting because they made you sign that you had to take AstraZeneca, even though people refused, they didn't want it. And it was like a huge scandal that some people got AstraZeneca, even though they signed for, for some, some other ones. But as shortages, I don't think there was any. I just know that people refused to even take it. If, like, I remember when I was a child, when I got a vaccine, I would have, like, high temperature for a few days. That was normal back in the days. Now people don't want that. I, I think that's the problem mostly. But as shortages, no, I don't think there was any. In Australia, we're using the AstraZeneca, and that was actually going to be the main vaccine that we used. And then when the blood clot issue arose and uh, questions began to be asked about how close, how closely linked the vaccine is to these blood clots, whether it's a causal relationship or merely a correlation, the government decided to pause the AstraZeneca rollout and limit it to the over 50s. So anyone over 50 now in Australia will get the AstraZeneca, whereas if you are under 50, you will get the Pfizer vaccine. So that's what they're, they're gonna now be rolling out for, for the under 50s, which is my age group, I'm, I'm 48. So that's, uh, that's made a lot of people happy because of you know a lot of concern that was raised in the media and in the public mind about how dangerous the AstraZeneca is and whether or not these blood clots are, are a big issue. At the moment, I'm, I'm a, although I'm aware of deaths that have been linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine with regard to sort of uh, a correlation between when the vaccine was given and when the death has, had actually occurred, I'm not aware at the moment of any hard scientific evidence that conclusively proves the vaccine uh, had caused the the deaths um, i think there was something here it was i think uh, on the news that some german um some german scientific links linked it with astrazeneca oh, first it was okay. also yep. here no 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 and then in, it was somewhere in the news that it was proven yes mm. i'm not 100 percent sure but i know i read it somewhere it yeah. was either the news or the newspaper i i do remember that and a little while later the scientist who sort of made the discovery about the link said uh, I want to clarify that at the moment we don't have a causal relationship we do okay. have a correlation but not a causal relationship so that's why they're they're trying to be a bit more careful but out of caution they are pausing the AstraZeneca and I know a couple of countries have paused it um, I think Denmark has stopped it completely for example Across the EU, I think about 20 countries have variously paused it or, or, um, or switched to a different vaccine. There's been similar concerns raised about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in America, mm -hmm. and they paused the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and they have now started rolling it out again after, after checking the details of, of various incidents and deciding that it's not a causal relationship. It is really difficult because, of course, we've got brand new vaccines, some with technology that's only been developed in the last few decades. And 
we don't have the normal long-term studies that we would usually have to to prove a vaccine nor do we have the situation that we do with a flu vaccine where every year we can build on the previous vaccine and we can anticipate that the new flu strains coming in and simply tweak it to address those it's not the same these vaccines are being made from scratch they're having to start with a whole new clean slate and it, we don't have the luxury of long-term studies to support you know the further safety testing that we would we would uh, prefer to have we just have to sit tight and and just you know go carefully pause rollouts when we when we have to and err on the side of caution and just hopefully as the the rollouts continue we'll get that data in but now the last time i checked nearly 1 billion covid vaccines have been issued uh, and, and administered across the world that's about one seventh of the global population which is actually a pretty huge number so we're well past the stage where anyone can say oh, well, you're effectively the research, aren't you? If you're taking the vaccine now, nobody's the research at this stage. We've got about, you know, yeah. a billion vaccines issued and, and administered. We're well past the point where anyone can say you're just participating in a giant clinical trial. That's definitely not the case. Yeah, and with such a big number, people have to be aware that even when any kind of medicine, if it has a side effect on such a big number, there will be people affected by the side effect more greatly than other because it's such a big number. If it's one in a hundred, that's not so like it's more, but even if it's one in a million, somebody will be affected. Like people are not aware of that. They were like, they think everybody will be, but. Yeah, that's a very good point because obviously the larger the numbers of people vaccinated, the larger the, uh, the the greater the chance that we will see more reactions but when yeah. you look at the big picture when you look at the percentage of people who were vaccinated and had a reaction or a bad reaction then you look at that against the total number of people who've been vaccinated yeah. you begin to realize well that the numbers are actually very very small and then again when we say reaction what are we talking about a minor reaction like a, a sore arm bit of swelling or a, maybe a temporary fever, or are we talking a bit of a, a little more severe reaction, maybe some exhaustion and some aches and pains for about a week, or maybe we're talking about a severe reaction like a, a anaphylaxis, for example. But mm. those ones, the severe reactions, are incredibly small in, to, in numbers in terms of, of the bigger picture. I know in the US, for example, the last time I looked at the numbers, the number, the percentage of severe reactions was something like 0.0016%. So they've administered over 200 million vaccines now. And to have the number of severe reactions represented in, in such a tiny, tiny figure is extremely encouraging. Australia has a very good record with vaccination we reached a milestone about a year or two ago where 95 percent of children are now fully vaccinated and that's uh, that's a new benchmark for us we haven't reached that before and that's largely because there's good trust in government here and good trust in vaccines and the anti-vaxxer movement here is absolutely tiny they've got virtually no influence at all hardly anyone takes them seriously 
but I do know in countries like America, they do have a bit more noise. Uh, they've got more money behind them and they're a lot more active and influential. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether or not the Americans can reach herd immunity within the time frame they're aiming for. And of course, uh, we're going to have to wait and see how long the immunity lasts and whether or not we need annual boosters, which I think will probably be the case at this stage. And that's going to raise the question of what we do with variants such as the, the uh, Brazilian variant and the others that are going around at the moment. But, you know, if that happens, then that's what we have to do. And we do it for other yeah. diseases like the flu. So uh, I think we can accommodate that pretty well. Yeah. For me, it's a bit different because of the vaccines, because we have in Serbia a bit of different kind of vaccines than European Union. And I'm just afraid that if I get the one that I, I have available in Serbia, I won't be able to get a green pass for specifically Austria. Because we had on the beginning, we had the Russian one, the Sputnik, and we had the Chinese one. And in my county, I've, I had available only the Chinese one. And that one is not uh, accepted in Austria. So that's one of the other reasons why I'm still waiting to see what more vaccines will we get in Serbia. Will we get them? And it will be a problem because I would have to travel to a completely different county get there, like re registered and everything to be even able to get a different kind of vaccine. So that's of a kind of different problem for me. Like I want to be back. I wanted to get a vaccine before I got now to Austria to visit my family so that I don't have to get tested, not to get into quarantine and that. But I can't do it if it's not like if I get like the Chinese one, I don't, I don't know how it works with other vaccines. Can I maybe later on take like maybe the Pfizer one, like after a year, maybe even, can I mix those two or how does it work? Like, I still don't know that aspect of the vaccines. I'm not even sure that anybody really thinks about stuff like that. Like, can, but yeah, they're still not allowed everywhere. You, you mentioned that the Serbian government was now in a position to be able to sell vaccines to people yes. who traveled to Serbia for the purpose of being vaccinated. Yes. What countries are they traveling from? I saw in the news that some stewardess from Albania took the vaccine in Serbia. It was all over the news. Like It was like beautiful women taking vaccines in Serbia, stuff like that. Uh, I think mostly like the, the neighbor countries, like maybe Bosnia, Croatia, I'm not sure what countries, but I just heard that our president is like having put up because while I know Austria got, I think, uh, 200,000 of the vaccine, I don't know which one, I think it was Pfizer, while Serbia got two and a half million vaccines dosages. So we had more than Austria, even though the population is about the same between Austria and Serbia. Maybe I'm, I think Austria maybe has one million more, but they took much less than uh, than we. We took, like I said, two and a half million vaccines so that we can sell it to other people. So you you feel that people are coming to Serbia to be vaccinated? They're mainly because of shortages in their own country. Yeah, it could be. 
Yeah, like I think it's mostly like business people who travel to Serbia, like I said, like the stewardesses who were there and they took the vaccines. I think it's mostly people like that who are already there and then they think, okay, while I'm here, I'll take the vaccine because it's available for me. Like you said, in Australia, you're still not in the, into the, gr in the group that takes the vaccine. While in Serbia, we're already finished with those groups mostly. Now, now it's already younger people are already taking them. We finished with the older generation, like very, very early in the early stages. And I think it's also one of those things that people don't want to wait, but have to travel around and then they come to Serbia just to take the vaccine. You mentioned Albania. Now, Albania traditionally is, uh, and historically has been uh, a smaller, weaker and less economically vibrant country and it's often been vulnerable well as many of the east european states have been to to invasion and and war so historically they've struggled to maintain a robust economy and i do do know that they still have problems with uh, organized crime and poverty how we how are little countries like albania traveling at the moment how do you think they're they're coping are they able to source the, the number of vaccines that they need? Um, how have they fared with lockdowns and other COVID restrictions? For Albania, I don't know, because Albania and Serbia are not in that of a big of a term between each other. They've been at war with each other for very long and always like people hate people there. But like I can say maybe for Montenegro, because we are we used to be Serbia and Montenegro back in 2005, where one country and we are like in, I think Serbia is helping around, maybe even Albania, like I said, I don't know that much about Albania because people don't like to talk in Serbia about Albania, not me, but it's just, I don't have anybody to talk it about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Kosovo is making there a bit of a problems between Serbia and Albania. But like I said, I think that maybe Montenegro is getting help probably because they are, I think the smallest country in on Balkan on East 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 Europe. And I think like maybe also Bosnia, because Bosnia is also very economically not that good of a country. It's still like we're not much better than Bosnia, but maybe like a, a titsy weeny better. <laughs> Especially with the vaccines. I think the government had a bit more money than Bosnia to get them that much. So I believe and I want to believe that Serbia is helping out there. As much as they can yeah because the, the balkan states have they are very vulnerable um not just economically but politically they've traditionally relied on larger states to be their patrons and and support them and you know maybe make a promise not to invade them this century and and things <laughs> like that um and then there's also been as you say there's been quite a bit of conflict between these countries uh the map of the balkans and eastern europe has had to be redrawn so many times over the <laughs> yeah. last few hundred years like even in my lifetime i think i experienced the three different countries from serbia like yugoslavia and then serbia and montenegro before that it was serbia and then you're now again serbia like when somebody asks where are you from somewhere for the balkan <laughs> Well, uh, Steffi, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. It's been really great to talk to you <laughs> and really interesting to hear some insights from your part of the world. So thank you.